0: You can decorate spooky. and you know we did. We did.
1: Of course. Absolutely. September 1st, baby. Everything comes out. i am started making mold, spices, tea. Oh, Just yes. immediate. I don't care
0: if it's 85 degrees. <laughs> is it? It's honestly it's been pretty like overcast here. So I feel like the world is in the mood as well.
1: Yeah, same here. It's been pretty rainy, but I hate to enjoy it because it's from the hurricane and a lot of people have much worse versions of the hurricane than me. But we're here. We're ready. I went to our P.O. box the other day, picked
0: up... Oh, hello. This is Two Girls, (laughs) One Ghost. (laughs) Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. And Um, I'm Sabrina... I'm and just really forgetting our intro. It's okay. I think we got excited and carried away with it feeling like Halloween. It so we just like we just forgot ourselves for a moment.
1: We did. But I went to the P.O. box and there were some good goodies in there. So I'm going to send them to you and Ooh. then we'll do another mail time on our Patreon. Fun. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. And I was like, I need to go a lot in the next couple months. because I know.
0: This is the season.
1: Tis the tis season. Tis the season. We're in it. We're here. And I have like – five Halloween costumes planned for myself, so now I need to figure oh my out gosh. what I'm actually going to do because I obviously can't do five. I
0: mean, I could. Well, you could. But I won't. I'll save them for It's later. like the 31 days of Halloween, you can do the five days of Halloween costumes, and it's the full week leading up to Halloween. You know
1: what? That's what I would – one of the prompts my family loves to talk about is if you had an exorbitant amount of money, if you won the lottery, not even – if you had Jeff Bezos' money, uh-huh. what would you do with it? Like, what's the, like, stupid thing you would do that a regular person wouldn't do? And by stupid, I mean, like – Go to space. A regular person, you would feel guilty spending the money doing it. Yeah. Like, you would go to space? With Ariana Just like Grande. Jeff Bezos? <laughs> with Ariana Grande. I know I sent you a – A clip of Ariana. According to her, she would go. Take me now. Today. Yeah. She's ready. Her and I are on the same I would do the 31 nights of Halloween costumes. I think that's a really good idea, what you just said.
0: But like really intense.
1: Yeah. Where, you know, I'm spending a significant amount to make the costumes amazing.
0: Okay. I think I would also throw an absurd Halloween party. Like, I'm imagining if I have all that money, I have like a really nice house and Mm -hmm. I would pay up the wazoo to have. Like a production company come in, like a set designer come in and design my home mm-hmm. to be like the interior, the exterior, the front lawn, everything to be a haunted house. And for the whole month of October, everyone can come in and experience it. And then on Halloween, I would have the spookiest party, the spookiest party. And then Bette Midler's there and all of the other <gasps> sisters. And we all turn into vapor when the sun rises.
1: Yes. And everybody just dances the whole night. The whole night. Because we're under a spell. Like
0: Halloween Town. As long as we don't turn into our costumes. Right. I feel like what you were describing, actually, two different
1: celebrities do a version of that. Christina Aguilera, I believe, gets her whole house, like, super, super done up for Halloween. Wow. And then Heidi Klum has her Halloween party, which I – it's my dream for us to be invited to that. (laughs) Some people grow up being like, oh, if only I could make it to a Playboy Mansion party. Oh, if only I could attend the Oscars. Heidi Klum's Halloween
0: party. Okay. Well, when you go to mine, you're not going to want to go to hers. I'm going to tell you that. (laughs) It's going to be – Give her a run for her money. That much better. She's going to be wanting to get an invite to my Halloween party.
1: (laughs) Because yours is probably going to be equal parts terrifying and super, super interesting.
0: Yes. I do have a ghost story. Wait, okay. So it's not personal or well, it's not mine. I guess it is still personal. But so when I was in Hawaii Mm -hmm. post-wedding with my dad and his wife and Nick, of course, there's this like really beautiful banyan tree in Maui in Lahaina. And it basically the tree is so massive that it's branched off and rooted, like the branches have rooted themselves. So it looks like a bunch of different trees. And so we walked by it. And my dad goes, you know the legend of banyan trees, right? And I was like, I I had no idea. And so my dad grew up in Pakistan, and I guess the street where he lived was just filled with banyan trees. And I hope I'm saying that right. It might be banyan. I don't know.
1: No, I've always heard banyan. Okay. You know, it could be a regional thing like Appalachia versus Appalachia.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the street was filled with banyan trees. And he had been told his whole life that spirits of ancestors and evil spirits get trapped in the trees and so he never walked alone on that street but one day he had to and as he was walking past one of the trees he felt a full hand smack his head and push him what and he was completely alone
1: <gasps>
0: oh i'm just picturing them like hanging like snakes off of the trees i know Isn't that wild Ooh, ooh! and it made me really fascinated just about banyan trees and and i didn't i have i should have i mean i researched for this episode why didn't i just research that but i didn't think i was going <laughs> to tell you this story until it came to me i want to do a ton of research on it and find out the lore behind that and where it came from yeah that's super interesting and i wonder if it is regional to pakistan where he grew up it makes me question whether
1: – it's kind of like what came first, chicken or the egg. Right. Did the legend come because of all of these experiences people had with paranormal activities around banyan trees? Or was it the reverse, where the legend was created somehow, some way, and passed down. And so people's spirits somehow, in the afterlife, chose to attach themselves to banyan trees because of the legend. To like live out the legend. To be one of the
0: spirits in the trees. Ooh, Okay, did just Google it real quick, and Google mm-hmm. came back with a few responses. It's a Hindu lore that the Banyan tree is considered a heavenly tree because it is said to be the place where gods and spirits of deceased ancestors love hanging out. It's celebrated as a sacred tree and is not axed because of the popular belief that it brings prosperity and goodness to the neighborhood— Banyan trees that are many years old are considered as heritage specimens that deserve protection from vandalism and massacre. Okay, so they're not supposed to be scary. They're really good. Yeah, they're supposed to be, but something smacked my dad. protection and fortune. (laughs) Mm. You
1: know, maybe they weren't smacking your dad. Maybe they were trying to smack whatever's attached to him. Smack his
0: butt? Smack that booty. Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe they were trying to knock the demon out of him or Mm -hmm. his interesting hit the demon hard enough that it just (gasps) leaps out
1: and they capture it
0: whoa that's so interesting also just need to tell you this article is called bend it like banyan which i love because the trees bend and they re-root.
1: oh i love that i want one what's their grow zone that's a good question i don't know but they're beautiful i would love to see one one day i believe you can i believe you will you know i probably have already seen one yeah just didn't really realize
0: that's probably true.
1: Wait a second. Are there? I might be making this up, but there could. No, let me not lie. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what I was about to say, and here's where I'm wrong. <laughs> I thought – I was about to say, wait, I've definitely – there's a banyan tree in Boston because in the Boston Public Gardens and along the Esplanade, a lot of the trees and plants have plaques on them to say what they are. We'll say, Uh like, you know, something, something maple, something, something cherry blossom, redwood, whatever. Right. So you can see where they're originally from, and a lot of them are from, like, Japan and the North Pacific and whatnot. Yeah. So it is very cool. So I was like, oh, I must have seen a banyan tree there because it sounds so familiar. And then when I Googled banyan tree Boston, I realized (laughs) – I was thinking of one of my favorite restaurants that's called Banyan Bar and Refuge in the south end oh, of Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's this Asian gastropub. It's, it's word delicious. association.
0: You knew the word, word and as- you, couldn't, yes. you couldn't figure out why or how. But we got there and but I. We got there.
1: I, unknown if I've seen a banyan tree. But oh my gosh. Your dad has so many stories. The fact that
0: you're still finding some out. I know. I feel like he has countless oh my gosh he also so as we were talking about this his wife Nona as you know Mm -hmm. was telling me about how my dad still like speaks in other like languages at night and she goes I have videos and my dad goes yeah she has videos like there's one where I levitate and I was like what and I what and I kind of thought he was joking but then I looked at Nona I was like wait does he actually and she goes yeah and I was so bewildered, but then my dad started laughing and I was like, wait a second. So he was joking, but Nona had like misheard my question. She thought I was asking if he actually spoke another language in his speech. But for like a good. 20 seconds i fully believed that there was a video of my dad levitating and speaking another language in his sleep and they were playing it so cool and i was like i'm sorry everyone needs to stop i need to know more
1: well i feel like nona is the type of person that would just play it off as cool she's just like yeah that's what he does that's
0: what he does could you imagine
1: i mean i'm glad he's not no.
0: levitating but the whole language thing is strange
1: can you get the tape though i want to hear it i want to hear the
0: yeah ask spoken her. words But what if it's bad? What if we don't want to know? What if it sends something upon us? us?
1: That's true. That's true. This is what sucks about being in the position that we're in, being lovers of the paranormal and also people that fear it greatly. Yes. We're so tempted. We want to see these things. We want to hear these things. But then there's also this extreme paranoia that comes with it with Like, are we about to curse ourselves? Are we about to set something upon ourselves? Did we just misstep? Did we cross a line we weren't supposed to?
0: Yeah. I do feel like the nice thing about this topic, I guess it's such a broad topic, but is that even when we get close, there's so many people out there who won't believe us that I feel Mm -hmm. like the paranormal world is like, whatever. They just, people think they're like conspiracy theorists
1: anyways. That's true. I think I am though. I think you're a little more grounded than me. <laughs> in that <regard>. Well, until <laughs> you keep your you convince me one foot out the door, and I'm like trying to fly through it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I am trying to fly to space, so I'm not quite grounded.
1: Oh, did you see that they're taking application? Did I already tell you this? That they're taking Maybe. they're not to go to space, but in around Houston, Texas. They're taking applications for people. I think it's like age twenty five to thirty five to live for a year or two on this like base that's supposed to simulate Mars. Okay, I don't have a job right now. That I sounds know. Great. so I really looked into the application for you the other day because I was like, Sabrina would freaking love this. Like, what perfect timing! We could put our podcast on hold so that I know. She I can was go just gonna ask: live can, can we in fake still Mars? record? I don't know, but I think I would be down to take a year-long break if only for that.
0: <laughs> That's the only reason. <laughs> only
1: for you to go to fake Mars and then live out your dream. Okay, well, I need to know actually. more about
0: this. What's it called? I don't know. Mars Simulation? Na-
1: NASA, Houston, Mars. But, okay, so you're actually not qualified. I'm
0: so sorry to tell you. Oh, wait. You're don't in- get me, you got me so excited. <laughs> I know.
1: you're in the age, the age bracket.
0: That's the only qualification I have.
1: Yeah. You have to be basically like this super scientist smart. in the STEM field or a fighter pilot.
0: So, so real specific. fighter pilot seems really hard to do, but the STEM cell thing, I have done STEM – not STEM cell, STEM, STEM stem, science. See, I already am. Mm-hmm. I've actually done like those KiwiCo kits that are like STEM projects. So, does that count? So close, (laughs) but
1: not quite at the astrophysicist type level, master
0: mathematician. Okay. Well, what if they need like a gardener? I'm not good at that either. Okay. What if they (laughs) need- Keep going. Keep
1: going. We got to think of something.
0: Someone to tell ghost stories. Entertainment. Entertainment.
1: (laughs) God, how dare they not think of that part? Their minds will go stale without entertainment. I know. They they need need me.
0: storytellers
1: aboard. Ugh. Gosh, I'm gonna. You have should a just write to them and be like, "You're missing one crucial person, and that's the person who is entertaining and could talk to a wall. Yeah, and will keep everybody a little more sane."
0: Well, okay, so now I feel like I need to talk to like a, NASA, <laughs> someone with like a medical degree in psychology, and I'm gonna work with them and create a reason why that I need to be there because for psychological success with all of their other people there they need me yeah absolutely
1: i support you in this i think that this is the loophole that can get you to houston texas okay
0: i see i don't care about houston texas i care i'm more excited about the mars thing that's what i'm here for well yeah i'm going F- to mars. Fake mars but like thank but, god but the thing it's is gonna if, feel like mars if i go to fake mars and i am so good Then they'll send me to real Mars.
1: I should have never told you about this. The only reason I did was because I was like, how great would it be for Sabrina to live out her dream of being on Mars, but to not actually take a one-way ticket where I never get to see her again. It will scratch her itch. But now you're like, Um, hold on, like
0: double Mars. Okay. It's known as Crew Health and Performance Exploration Analog. Okay. Performance is in the title. (laughs) And they're... There are going to be three one-year Mars surface simulations. Okay, so three chances. Yes, and starts begins in fall 2022. So I have a whole year. We love fall to prepare. Fall's our favorite season. So many stories. And you know what? I'm a, I probably will have to miss Halloween, but I'll be dressed as an astronaut, which is my favorite costume ever. So this and truly, it would be a costume. <laughs> Everyone else, it might make sense,
1: but the performer. It's just a costume, you
0: know. It's a simulation. So, (laughs) in the real world, if I were on Mars, I would have to be wearing the the uniform. So, oh man, this is okay. I I'm going to tell Nick when he gets home today that I have a lead for a job. (laughs) You should.
1: (laughs) You should. But here's another thing that might help you out. If they're doing three different versions, they might find out in the first one that they really need some some regular old folk in there.
0: Yeah. 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 I'd rather go in the first one though, because if they realize they don't need that after the first one, then I have no shot. But if they after the first one, like realize I was so good, mm. then they might, I don't know, hire Ariana next year.
1: True. It might be a bunch of celebrities. It might be a reality show.
0: Yeah. I'm setting her I'm Did setting ever- her up for success. It's all about me giving Ariana what she wants. <laughs>
1: Ariana Grande, baby. <laughs> Here's what we'll do. So Ariana Grande will be with you on Fake Mars. And then to, we'll keep the podcast going, but we'll have a year-long guest to sub in for you. And it will be Post Malone.
0: Oh, that's
1: interesting. So he can tell us all the inside scoop on Zach Bagans and all of those <gasps> his Dibbuck
0: box encounter. Wait, I have to train Post Malone for his year. You do. I have to tell him what they liked and what they didn't like. You know, they really love ghost stories. They don't love rapping. They don't love music.
1: Yes, that's it. That's what you got to do. This is good. I'm into this. For some reason, I pulled out my phone and I was going to show you something and now I can't remember (laughs) what it
0: is. That's okay. See, this is what happens when we get carried away by things.
1: (sighs) We do. But we'll get into ghost stories. We've got a great topic picked out by a listener slash Patreon donor. All right. Here we are.
0: Here we are. Thank
1: you, Roxy, for picking out this episode. Roxy is in one of the tiers on Patreon where Mm -hmm. she got to give us a suggestion or rather pick the
0: topic. And we got hospitals. Hospitals, which is continually one of the most frightening and disturbing topics because regardless of, I I mean, there's a lot of similarities between a lot of the hospitals I feel like we end up doing, but... Mm -hmm. Just hearing them again or just realizing how widespread the malpractices and yes. terrible treatment of people were is, is still bewildering and makes doing this research quite disturbing but also very fun. Yeah,
1: and it's just – I think it's one of those things where when you think of hospitals, you're supposed to – I mean, I know a lot of people have like white coat syndrome and your mm-hmm. goal is not to end up in hospital – But it's supposed to be where you're cared for, where you come out a little less broken than when you entered. And so the fact that that's not the case, and then on top of that, there's so many hauntings and such darkness that shrouds so many of these hospitals, whether they be active or abandoned. It's just a really fascinating topic.
0: Also, they're supposed to leave there better, but at least in my story, I don't know about yours, many people... Never leave. Never leave? Yes. Same. Same. All right.
1: Weston, West Virginia. Population, just over 4,000. Population of ghosts? Too many. <laughs> Why Eek. is Weston, West Virginia with such a small population on the map for ghostly activity, you ask? Well, it's because it's home, too, and many of you guys have probably heard of this place before, it is home to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. The asylum is notorious. It is horrifying. It is poop your pants and run away (laughs) type of place. The (laughs) Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which is just not the nicest name to name the hospital, but that is what it was called in the past – it had a couple name changes over time. And then in its current state, that is what it's called again. So that's what I'll be calling it. Mm-hmm. But the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum started construction back in 1858. So we're in the 1800s now. The structure was designed in a Gothic revival and Tudor revival styles. So it's actually quite beautiful. If you look it up, you're like, dang, what rich bitch gets to live but here.
0: The gothic of it all is so haunting, which just adds to it is the spookiness of the place. Hauntingly beautiful. Yes. That's what they say about me. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put it on your tombstone.
1: (laughs) Oh, golly. Okay. So it was built in these styles and a wonderful designer and architect who was just so impressive was in charge of designing this place and so construction began on it in 1858, and actually for some time it was being built using prison laborers. But then soon skilled stone masons were brought in from Europe to work on the building. Wow. This is the largest cut stone masonry building in North America, and apparently the second largest in the world. So this building is extremely impressive by way of buildings and and statistics, I guess, for buildings. <laughs> So the place, it's beautiful. It's got this rolling hills and land, and it's just so amazing. And the hallways and the wings, they're designed to let in a lot of sunlight and fresh air. So my goodness, how lovely. Like you're walking down the corridor, and you've got these huge windows letting in beautiful light and fresh air and the breeze. It just sounds really nice. And the land around it is sprawling. There's green grass everywhere. You're thinking like, ooh, let me go outside and do a little, you know, Zac Efron foot grounding thing. If it were operating today as a hospital, that's at least how I would think of using it. And then in the middle, there's a big steeple and it's just incredibly beautiful and lovely. So why are all these people shaking in their boots when they hear its name? Well, it all started back in 1864 when the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum opened its doors to patients, positioning itself as a psychiatric hospital. It all starts like that. Mm -hmm. And the land had already seen some action in the few years before it because the building found itself in the middle of the American Civil War. And after the construction had started on this property, for a time it was paused And the partially constructed asylum was used as Camp Tyler, which was a military post during Hmm. the war. But then a few years later, they were like, let's finish this. The place is available again. Let's finish construction and open our doors to patients for psychiatric treatment. And by now, we can all agree that while the thought behind psychiatric hospitals must have been well-intentioned. Hearing about them today makes us wince because, like Sabrina alluded to earlier, we know the horrors that the patients actually faced during treatment and during their time in these places. So at the time, people were really excited for this facility. They didn't know what was to come. The building had actually been a project of Thomas Story Kirkbride, who founded what would become the American Psychiatric Association. So this guy's huge in psychology. And Kirkbride, he built this hospital on the foundation established by this woman, Dorothy Dix, who essentially said that mental illness should not be this faux pas thing. We shouldn't hide people away in darkness and physically restrain them. Their treatment should be humane. She said this back in the 1880s? 90s? Dorothy Dix did, yes. And so Kirk Bride was like, yep, I agree with you. This is the direction we should go. So he took her ideas and tried to put it into practice in this hospital. And he was very vocal about his intentions with the hospital. It was constructed in a way with the architect's help to be this place where there was humane treatment so the Uh building structure was focused on sunlight and fresh air patients would be able to roam around as much as possible and they can spend their days doing what they enjoyed and stimulating their minds and avoiding boredom you know they're not just strapped down to a bed staring at a blank wall all day like so many other hospitals had treated patients so people were hopeful one of the first good options for psychiatric patients or so they thought right Originally intended to hold 250 people, the asylum quickly outgrew itself. Construction continued into 1881 with separate rooms for black patients becoming available in 1876 and then additional wings constructed throughout the next few decades. So the grounds expanded to include a farm, dairy cows, water supplies, and a cemetery. They really were just trying to be self-sufficient and be able to essentially run the whole place themselves, feed the patients,
0: feed the staff, do everything right there. It's so interesting because I mentioned this in my story as well, but like so many of the hospitals were like that, which it sounds so great. But then when you think about it, it almost becomes this alienated town that it's an excuse for no one to come in and no one else to have to leave. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the
1: castle up on the hill. Like, yeah, you check in, but you never check out. So it does still while it's supposed to be humane, it really is separating people from society still. Yeah. Okay. So now I have a pop trivia moment for you. So I'm about to ask you a question, Sabrina. Okay. How many acres was trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum upon its completion? How many acres?
0: I'm only saying this because this is what mine was, but like 900. No. The answer
1: is six six six. Six hundred and sixty-six <gasps> acres. Stop it. <laughs> yep. That exactly. So, that's, exactly that. Yeah. I looked had, at so many different sources. I was like, this has got to be a typo. Someone's just trying to make it spooky. And I listened. Yeah, nope. It's six six six. That's 666. absurd. Six six acres. Who would do that? Well,
0: yeah. I mean, the way that people avoid the 13th floor, you would think that people would avoid even just listing it as that. They would probably – I would just be like, yeah, 665.
1: Right. And I don't know when 666 became the number for the devil. That's something that maybe we should definitely look up and and research and Mm -hmm. talk about. But, I mean, if this were year 1012, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. They don't know. Yeah. But this is the late eighteen. hundreds there's very much a belief in heaven and hell and the devil and all of these symbols yeah. and, you know this is two centuries after witchcraft hangings and witch trials so not the best planning on space acreage or what would be to come the all-around treatment of patients they had good intentions but when it actually was put to practice it didn't go so well So while originally only having space for 250 people, the overcrowding became very apparent and happened very quickly in 1881 when there was an increase in mental health diagnoses and new construction could not keep up with the demands and the number of patients who were being admitted. So at its peak, it held about 2,400 patients. So the place was built for 250. They built a few more wings, a few more beds, but then at its peak, it held 2,400 patients. Oh, my gosh. Rooms meant for just one patient were now crammed with people. There were like four or five patients in a room meant for one. This number was at 10 times the capacity of the hospital. So the patients, they were clearly not being cared for. They had varying needs. Some had drug addiction. Others were suffering from alcoholism. There were a few with epilepsy, many with mental illnesses, plenty of people with disabilities. Some people just, you know, this is like a typical theme where people are just like dropped off because they like children or families. Family don't want to tend to them and care for them anymore. Ugh, it's just so sad. a place to throw away your family members back then. So there were a, a variety of needs, varying types of patients, not nearly enough staff, extreme overcrowding, and their needs are not met. And so these patients, they're wandering around aimlessly. They're running wild. And not only were their mental health issues exasperated by the overcrowding, but the once self-sufficient farm, remember, this place is supposed mm-hmm. to be this like little island of perfection, It's now overcapacity. There's not enough food. People are not getting enough to eat. They're all becoming malnourished. And then the building itself began to deteriorate. There was not enough furniture for patients. So people were laying on the hard ground. And because of their panic, they began to scratch at the walls and tear the wallpaper off, leaving it in strips falling off the walls or just entirely broken off in certain areas. Wow. And then also heat wasn't available in certain parts of the structure. So these people who don't have beds, who are laying on the cold ground, are absolutely freezing. There's no heat available. And this building was built to be the most, oh my gosh, it just started pouring rain spooky spooky so the building was built to be this super airy spacious place and of course now that there's not enough heat or like blankets and beds and stuff this airy place is this frigid frigid horrible place for people to just it's jail it sounds like jail yes yes So while there were many windows, because it was intended to be light and airy and beautiful, lighting at night and in newer parts of the building was very insufficient, and the grime and dirt was building up on the windows, darkening the entire building, and then it was just kind of this gloomy, soot-colored shadow, this haze. So everything was getting gross. Everything was not being tended to or cared for, and just like this whole darkness kind of shrouded the hospital and started to take hold of all of the people and the staff and the building so the place was scary and the people in there were in trouble especially those who were patients starting in the 1950s because that is when walter freeman brought his lobotomy project to the hospital calling it a project making it the headquarters for the west virginia lobotomy project
0: oh my gosh
1: It was a project intended to cure patients, to treat as many people as possible. Essentially, they were like, okay, these hospitals are so overcrowded. Why don't we just shove an ice pick in everybody's brains and then they'll be cured. And then we can just let people leave the hospital because I just cured them by shoving an ice pick through their brain. And then we'll solve the overcrowding. So using ice picks, Freeman, he performed over 4,000 lobotomies in this hospital. And he, let me give a trigger warning here. If you feel faint at hearing gross medical things if you have a young child in the car if you're driving and just don't want to take the risk of passing out fast forward 15 seconds to 30 seconds i'm buying you some time to go grab your cell phone or whatever starting now So he would take this thin pointed ice pick and he would put it into the person's (gasps) eye socket and then he would take a hammer and forcibly hammer it into their eyes and sever the connective tissue in the brain's prefrontal cortex. So many people died. Obviously, they're literally getting a spike through their head. Many people die. And so the asylum began to Instead of really expanding for more patients or solving people's treatment and letting them go, instead they have to expand the graveyard to accommodate the number of bodies and people dying because of their treatment (sighs) and because of the lobotomies.
0: If anyone's seen Ratchet on Netflix, I didn't think the series as a whole was anything to um, really highly recommend, but they kind of show on screen these Ice pick lobotomies. Oh no 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 I don't want to see it.
1: It's gross enough just hearing about it. So disturbing. So disturbing. So those who survived the lobotomies, they suffered cognitive and physical damage, hemorrhages, and permanent brain damage, and they were further disabled and tortured. And then when lobotomies didn't work, if there were certain patients that were just entirely uncontrollable, they were then locked in cages, chained to things oh. and severely abused. Hundreds of people were tortured and died there. Which, let's remember, the original intention was to bring humane treatment to the psychiatric patient world, and this hospital was going to be the lead runner of this treatment airy beautiful hallways and land for people to roam and enjoy and picnic and have treatment and instead they end up with ice picks through their brains being beaten having to lay on cold decaying frigid floor with no blankets barely any clothes and they're just so severely abused barely fed it's absolutely disgusting oh my gosh all right we're going to pause so I can give you one more trivia pop quiz.
0: <laughs> wow, this is like very interactive.
1: <laughs> I've been going through learning and development training at work. so <laughs> This is probably why. All right, let's do a group activity. <laughs> oh, Leia, wants, Leia to in. wants to play. Leia wants to play. She's get like, group two.
0: activity? Come here. Group
1: activity. We're all Come in here, here together. Can Which we? cult leader had a short stint in the asylum? Cult Charles Manson. Leader.
0: Yes! Ding, ding, ding! I you win, May. Eh? What do I win? What do I win? You win bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
1: you work on we'll work not on the prizes. Haunted by Charles Manson's ghost. Oh. I don't know.
0: Do you control that? <laughs> Are you a PR guy? <laughs>
1: Dude, I made a deal with some some high-up people <laughs> on the astral plane. I can pull a few strings. <laughs> don't you worry. No. So Charles Manson, when he was a teen or a young adult, he had a very short stint here for petty theft, apparently. I don't oh. know why he didn't just go to jail. Before, before they he him was... sent to the asylum. Interesting. Which, now knowing who he became, yeah, it kind of makes sense that he was sent to a psychiatric facility.
0: Yes. Sad that he was let out. Yep. Yes. As we're talking happens. about how sad it is that these people weren't allowed to let, be let out and lived a horrible life. But some people needed a extensive watch. Yeah, that's just
1: horrible luck of the world that all of these other people had to suffer. And yeah. one of the people who got out and was let out went on to lead a cult and murder many yeah. others. <sighs> but alas, in 1994, the asylum is forced to close its doors. Let me repeat that. 1994. Oh, that's recent. 1994. That is so recent.
0: Okay, well, now it does make me feel a little old. It's not as recent as we we like it to be. That
1: is 29 years ago. Yeah. Wow. But if you think about everything that was happening in 1994, I feel like we were beyond the treatment of people like this. And I'm probably – people are probably screaming at me being like, are you fucking kidding me? They're trying to take away, like, abortion rights and – Texas or wherever right now. Yeah. But at the time, in 1994, it just surprises me how many places were still open that were doing this. Like, I remember in Boston, the Charles Street Jail was still open for a long time. And and basically, there was, like, this prison riot and all of this reform happened. And they were severely mistreating. You went with me, the Liberty Hotel. Oh, yeah. It's now the Liberty Hotel. Yeah. They were open so late. And it just blows my mind that, like, in the past couple decades, there are still places that... Are in existence and haven't shut down yet.
0: And that there's no like control, that there's no one monitoring it to make sure it's humane.
1: Right. And you would think after like a few reports that it would be stopped. But then there's all these podcasts that come out like
0: Dr. Death. Like
1: it's still, even if it's not happening in a full facility, it's still happening on an individual basis. Yeah. It's still happening. It's terrifying. So in 1994, people were like, "Mm, physical deterioration of the building, bad. Patient treatment, bad. You need to shut down. Oh, my gosh. so while we may be tempted to celebrate, and celebrate you should, because good, I'm glad it's shut down. Yeah. It did also have a negative effect on the town, whose local economy largely depended on the jobs at the facility. Mm. The building then sat vacant for a few years until 1999 when several county and city police officers entered the building and played paintball. And they damaged four floors of this building. The police officers. The police officers, they went into the abandoned building and played paintball. And the irony of it all, and I will say, I didn't write this, but there were a few police officers that were dismissed from their position because of that. But the irony of it all is the current owner holds like paintball nights at the property now. the property. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so vacant, damaged, and with this horrible past, an effort was made to revive it, and some ideas for the trans-Allegheny lunatic asylum were to turn it into a civil war museum, maybe a hotel, perhaps a golf course – but in the end, it was sold to Joe Jordan, who purchased the building in 2007 for $1.5 million. That's $1. it? $1.5 million. That's it? For 242,000 square foot building. And for our meters folks out there, for people who are not on our measurement system, that is 22.5 thousand square meters. Whoa. One point five.
0: Huge. I mean, there's probably so much money that has to go into it in terms of. Oh,
1: hugely. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't even count the land. Like, there's so much land. Wow. Yeah, this like this like forty costcos.
0: <laughs> measure it in costcos.
1: Measure it in costcos. Okay, but like you said, so much work needs to be done. It's a huge money pit if you don't come up with some sort of plan, or unless you're like Jeff Bezos. <laughs> So to help with the restoration costs, Joe, he opened up the building for tours. There's historic and ghost tours. And the tour guides are dressed in 19th century nurse outfits. And they bring you, the visitor, through all four floors. They stop in the staff wing, the morgue, the operating room. And within the museum section of the building, you can actually look at paintings and poems and drawings made by patients and observe medical artifacts used like the hydrotherapy tub, straitjackets, and other restraints. And for those who are braver than us, or maybe I won't categorize Next. you with me, braver than me, because you are braver than me, you can also spend the night and do an overnight tour. Eek. But that's one that you'll never see me do because I'm not trying to encounter the spirits that are here. And there are menti. Menti. Whoa. Mentee. Whoa. Ooh. What just happened? You were possessed Plenty by the spirits. Plenty and
0: many.
1: <laughs> Plenty It's and like many. gruel. <laughs> gruel. <laughs> so gruel. So the spirits are mostly benign. There are a few scary ones. But entering the building, people say the energy is palpable. You feel like you're not alone. You know you're not alone. And that tens, maybe more, of spirits uh, of people who had once lived here and died here are still wandering the now abandoned halls, hiding behind these decrepit doorways and near the abandoned medical equipment and sitting in the leftover wheelchairs in the hallways, So very spooky vibes. Very, very creepy.
0: Honestly, it's so spooky how many of these abandoned hospitals just have old wheelchairs just sitting around because that might be the creepiest thing to ever exist. Like, in an abandoned building the wheels squeaking you see them like moving by themselves it's just why do they all have these
1: like i understand not pulling the resources to remove like huge medical equipment and heavy items that you're just like i'm not going to spend the money to do that right now but a wheelchair is such an easy thing to take you would think yes i guess people like the ghosts moving it around. I don't
0: know. Or like the they tried factor. to take it, and there was like a force pulling it back. And they're like, "Yeah, we oh just leave it." Oh god! No! 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 The chair
1: starts oozing out goo. Ew. So because of the hospital's involvement with the Civil War, uniformed soldiers are sometimes seen wandering the halls. But that's probably the least scary encounter you will have. Is just observing people in Civil War era uniforms wandering about. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people have heard voices tell them to get out. And one of the more present spirits is that of a little girl. She's actually kind of nice. Her name is Lily. She was not admitted to the hospital. Rather... She was born in it during the Civil War era, and then she lived on this property, and then actually she did end up getting admitted to the hospital when she had pneumonia. She got pneumonia, and she did not survive her illness, and she died at nine years old.
0: Oh, poor
1: thing. So sad, yes. And she still spends her days in what was her childhood home, playing in the corridor reserved for violent women, and sometimes in the lobotomy recovery area. Because that's where kids should be playing. Oh, I know. And also I feel like that's kind of an oxymoron lobotomy and recovery. Yeah. And visitors will often hear her laughing and sometimes crying because she's mine. Yeah. Emotions happen. Another spirit is named Jim James and he haunts the prison fooling with technology and communicating through flashlights. Ooh. Jesse's another spirit who you may encounter. He's a man who died of a heart attack in a bathtub. There's also two teen boys from the 1940s who hang out in the restroom. Whoa. Or perhaps you'll encounter a man who was brutally murdered by his roommates in 1987 in Ward F. And I'm going to give another trigger warning to fast forward because this is gruesome. This poor man was tortured by his roommates. They hung him using (gasps) bedsheets from a pipe and he didn't die from that. I'm trying to not asphyxiate. Well, I guess, yeah. His neck didn't crack.
0: Yeah, isn't yes. that what kills you? Is the like breaking of your neck?
1: Yeah, unless you end up getting choked to death. But I think typically oh, yeah. it's like the weight of your body on your lungs or like the neck cracking. Yeah, so that didn't happen. So he was still alive. So to kill him, they took him down. No, they put him underneath the bed frame that was a steel bed post, and they shoved the bed frame through his skull. <gasps> fucked
0: up oh my gosh
1: oh it's horrible yeah they basically like curb stomped him with that's his bed.
0: after everybody trying to
1: hang him yeah and this was 2v1 and all of the ghost hunting shows have been on this property I think it was Ghost Adventures had said on one of their articles and I don't know how long ago this was from so I'm not sure if this is still true today but the ringleader the guy who had planned this attack on mm-hmm. this poor man was apparently still alive when this show went to look he he's in another psychiatric oh, okay facility. thank you i was like where is he yeah, he's not just hanging out in the corner okay, of the abandoned asylum. Yeah, so anyway, so there's a bunch of spirits, super, super sad. The staff may actually give you cigarettes. Sometimes they hand out cigarettes for you to walk through, not to smoke, but to offer to the spirits as a peace Ooh. offering. Because smoking cigarettes was a really big part of culture for the many, many decades that this place was open. And the current owners are trying really hard to understand what the patients went through, too, and tell their stories and the horrible abuse that they went through. Right. Because it also – not only is it respectful to do so, but it makes it easier for them to make contact and establish mm. a relationship amongst the patients who still reside right. there. Right. So Rebecca Jordan, she's the operations manager, and she's had a few encounters with spirits herself. And it happened pretty quick. She wasn't working there for super long before it happened, and they believe her family actually owns it. So ghost hunters, when they went to the property for their show, while they were there, a spirit named Jacob made himself known for the first time, and he was looking for his beer. And so they're like, huh, that's interesting, kind of fun. New spirit comes forth for his beer, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, looking for his beer. So, interesting. But they moved on. And Rebecca did, too. Until three years later, when she receives a gift which includes patient admission forms from 1890 to 1892. So, this is 100 years before it closed. Right. And one of the patients on the list was named Jacob Ayers, and he had been admitted for alcoholism. And on his chart, it read, he's delusional and thinks everyone is hiding his beer. <gasps> so, it was um, him.
0: Whoa. It was him. She got confirmation. Well, okay. My question, though, is how was she gifted the records? Like, who had these records? And how are they know. not in a system? Probably some I mean, private donation. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel
1: like so many times when stuff like that closes down and it's just kind of abandoned, it's just like, you know, a nurse or a doctor or someone from the staff. will. things are abandoned. They're left. No one's taking it or no one taking care of it or transferring it. So you just, you pack your trunk with like four you boxes whatever of records you can. and you're just like, We'll see. We'll
0: see Take all the happens. morphine and then all the records.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all the wheelchairs. Someone please, God, take the wheelchairs. <laughs> but they leave those behind. They do. Yeah. So Jacob was confirmed. Actually, wait. You know what this is reminding me of? Have you seen the video clip of Ozzy Osbourne when the Osbournes had their show? No. I feel like I watch it all the time. I don't know why it's always on my, like, feeds, on my targeted pages on social yeah. media. But it's a clip of Ozzy Osbourne and he's like... Someone went in my room and drank my beers. <laughs> and Sharon's like, I don't think so, darling. Who's the beer thief? It's you. You're the beer thief. Like, he's just drinking his own beers. But That's kind of what Jacob reminds me of. He's yes. like, who took my beer? Who took like, you my did. Beer. You took your own beer, Jacob. You drank it all. You drank it all. So now his spirit, he's still looking for his beer. Someone took his beers. And honestly, in that hospital, someone probably did. Well, but yes. then there's another spirit and her name is Ruth. And it sounds she, like we don't like Ruth. <laughs> we're scared of Ruth. She was an older patient who lived in ward 1 and she was very angry and very violent, which you to can be fair, I can imagine. Yeah. That is totally fair. But she would sit in the hallway, strapped down to a wheelchair, and she would yell horrible things at people passing by. <laughs> So she was really aggressive towards other patients and pretty much everyone. It wasn't just directed at the staff who was not mm. treating her well. It was everybody was was a target. Yeah. And after the hospital closed, this one caretaker brought her daughter back to the hospital to like show her and basically like wander through this now closed, abandoned asylum. And right. so they go into Ward One, and she's telling her daughter about Ruth and how difficult Ruth was when she was alive, and uh-huh. just kind of jokingly, this caretaker was like. Oh Ruth, like come out and play, like come come yell again, whatever. Just teasing because they're in this spooky place, like teasing around her yeah. around her daughter. And that is when this woman, this caretaker, is shoved violently oh. against a wall by an unseen force and her daughter is witness. And Ruth will attack people when provoked. So it's best so, to ignore her. Around her own daughter around her own daughter wow Yes, it's incredibly scary this place and there's so many more spirits when I was looking at all of the different articles and people's reports Mm -hmm. of what happened there there there's so many more spirits there's so many things that you can learn when you go on the tours they have tours during the day they have tours during the night there's ones that are focused on the history ones that are a little bit more focused on spookiness and ghost stories but they do have I want to I want to tell you they do have some really cool events that happen here beyond the tours. So they have a fall festival which kids can go to. They say it's great family fun for all ages and they have karaoke, they have talent competitions, food, crafts, costume contests, games, all this stuff. They have flashlight tours that go on. There's an asylum ball where... It's a seven hour long party (gasps) and there's a bunch of like cash and prizes that are given out in an annual costume contest that happens. Corinne, October 23rd. It's still happening. It's just masks required. So you can totally go.
0: I'm in. Wait, that is so fun.
1: I know. And the paintball that I was talking about, it's zombie themed. So they have like weird slime, black light, creepy colors. This is really, really fun. Zombie paintball. This place, while I was terrified to actually go to it, and I was like, oh, I'm not going here. And now that I see all these really fun <laughs> events, I'm like, ah, I can go. You could reconsider. I could. But it is located at 71 Asylum Drive in West and West Virginia. So if that is near you or maybe potentially on your list of places to go, you should look at their website because they've got a lot of events happening, a lot of things coming up.
0: Okay, well. Even though it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Aside from the history, it sounds like the owner now is getting really creative in how to, one, raise money to probably make, you know, renovations if Mm -hmm. need be. And, B, like, it seems like the best way to tell the story of this horror is by giving tours and telling the history and adding these attractions that bring people in another way as well. So. I feel like it's – Yeah,
1: and it is – it's successful. Like the whole front entrance has been restored to its original state. So even though you're going to walk through a mostly abandoned and deteriorated building, you get to see – like when you enter, you get to see what it used to be. That's cool. And be like, oh, I can see why people wanted to be here. I can see why family members
0: felt okay sending their loved ones here. That ball sounds so fun.
1: It's like my party.
0: The party that I want to throw. Yes, (laughs) wow Uh,
1: i think you know what's my dream sabrina what and it involves you
0: okay thank you i
1: think we just take one year where we just do all of the things that we've said we wanted to do not unlike our haunted road trip that we keep talking about yeah like all of these events not only go see the places and do the tours but like do all the really fun pumpkin festivals halloween contests masquerade balls at these places
0: I'm more than down. Like, like I think I could spend more than a year just traveling around the world with you and just going to haunted places.
1: Me too. I'm becoming less and less scared of the idea. I really like it.
0: I mean, because I feel like, yes, but haunted places are scary, but there's so much history, I think, behind so many places that we've talked about that almost makes you, well, not totally, but almost makes you forget about the scary hauntings. Yeah. Or it makes you understand them better, you know, so it makes it a little less scary.
1: And if there are other people around too. Yeah. Makes it a little – although if we were doing that and we were kind of like back-to-back going to all these haunted places, what if we picked up a spirit? We wouldn't know where to drop them off. Where it came from. We wouldn't know
0: where we got them from. That's true. We should find someone who – well, we have to interview, I think. But we have to find someone who we really trust that's like a good medium who can come with us. And if spirits do get stuck to us or caught to us, caught on us. What? Stuck. Attached. Attached. Thank you. Attachment. Stuck. Caught. All the synonyms. (laughs) Cinnamon. cinnamons, Cinnamons. All the cinnamons. I'm back in fall season mode. (laughs) They can help us set them free. Yes. I'm into this recipe that we've just concocted. Okay. It's so sad that I, because I want it to happen so badly that I wish, like, what's stopping us? i mean it sounds a little expensive but money so yeah. i'm gonna do a lot
1: of manifestations in the morning i'm gonna do a lot of money seeking okay put it out into the world i can and, do it with me i'll do that we'll too. be able to do it
0: okay great all oh okay here we go again here we go again another haunted hospital
1: oh this you changed your hospital pick i did A last-minute switch. I just looked at our schedule. I changed
0: it yesterday morning, but yeah, you probably haven't seen it since then. I chose Eloise Psychiatric Hospital in Michigan. And I want to say thank you to our Patreon donor, Jenna, for recommending this hospital because we, before we record our episodes, post on Patreon what the topic's going to be, and you guys can comment on it if you're excited about anything. And Jenna commented, Eloise Hospital is so spooky, and Roxy who recommended this topic or picked this topic, commented being like, that place gives me the creeps.
1: And oh my gosh, Roxy also picked Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Oh so my gosh.
0: Well, I love when our listeners help us and give us the topics and the subject. But I'm so grateful because hot damn, this place is riddled with ghosts and it was the largest psychiatric facility in the United States at its prime. Whoa! Paint peeling off the walls, glass windows shattered to smithereens, loose paperwork litters the floor, and shadows whisk through your peripheral vision. This is the Eloise Psychiatric Hospital today, abandoned but hauntingly alive with something supernatural. Before we talk spirits, let us first talk history, which then might make you feel better about the spirits, or worse, because it's pretty sad. But Mm. back in the 1800s, it was ultimately up to counties to handle the poor and those experiencing homelessness on their own. So Wayne County, Michigan, decided to build a poorhouse, which I had never heard of, but I guess this was a thing during the 1800s. And they called it a poorhouse or a county house. And it was built in 1832 on Farmland, located on Mount Elliott Avenue. And it was basically built to house the poor. And so the intentions were good, but they didn't totally think things through because they basically were like, we're going to build this. And then they didn't put anyone in charge of it or help maintain it or anything. So the house Mm -hmm. was just like very poorly maintained and started deteriorating pretty rapidly. And it could hardly house the climbing number of poor civilians. So by 1834, which is two years after they opened it, they decided to move the poor house to Nankin Township where it was more centrally located and had more land and was near the railroad and a river, which both of those amenities made it more self-sufficient and more easily accessible. So they bought what was the Black Horse Tavern, which is a log cabin, and they added on a two-story wooden building, which would house the poor. And in April of 1839, they transferred everyone to this new location. But interestingly enough, I think there were about 111 Tenants of the first original poorhouse or county house. And of those, only I think 36 transferred. The rest of them refused. Like they were terrified of it. Mm-hmm. And it's also really interesting to note. And this is kind of like the biggest red flag to me right away is they called the tenants of the county house, the poorhouse inmates. So I don't blame what? these people for being like, no, 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 I'm not going there. I don't want anything to do with this.
1: I mean, at least they're being realistic. They're calling them as they're treating them. They called them inmates.
0: Isn't that awful? It's horrible. So that's kind of big red flag to me. In 1845, they constructed a new brick building with a basement. And this basement had two cells with chains on the walls to hold the drunk, the unruly, and the mentally unstable. And apparently they were just like chains on the walls throughout the basement, not even just in the cells and... I guess – I bet you can guess where that's going. Over the years, there were tons of new buildings added, and up until 1868, there was no distinction between the rational and the insane, and the only form of separation was by gender. So men and women were kept in separate wards, but age and ailment did not matter. So there were babies being kept with grown men in, like, the same space. And there was really no manner of care that took place at the Wayne County Poorhouse, as it was called at the time. It was more of like, let's contain these, quote unquote, lesser civilians, a.k.a. inmates, as they were referred to, out of public life. And truly, in, in my research, multiple articles referred to it as a dumping ground for people no one wanted to care for. Oh, so many of them were. It's so sad. So sad. And there were no doctors, no nurses, no one to take care of the orphaned children or the babies, no one to attend to the blind. It was just basically put these people in this place and then not think about them. Mm. There were keepers and they basically lived in the original log cabin and then that was rebuilt into a brick building. And so they were left to deal with the inmates. And I'm putting that in quotes and so just know I'm saying it sarcastically. They had no training. So they would just deal with them as they saw fit, which mostly meant chaining them up and restraining them so they didn't have to deal with them because they didn't know what to do with them. By 1867, the population within the county house was so extreme and so unbearable that the county was forced to make changes. So in 1868, they opened up the first asylum and separated mental patients from basically the poor and homeless. The attitude taken towards caring for the mentally ill was Lock them in a dark room and forget about them. Basically, out of sight, out of mind. And up until 1891, a doctor would only come once a week. And it would not be the same doctor every week. It would just be doctors passing through who have no idea about the patients, who pass through for one day. So they didn't have the manpower or ability to attend to all the patients. Basically, like one person coming through. They don't know anyone who's in there. They don't have any reason to care. They're not going back. It's just like, oh, I have to do this thing because I'm told I'm stopping through here. Finally, in 1891, and keep in mind, this place opened in 1832. So for how many years is that? 50 years? 60 years. For 60 years, that was how they took care of the patients. So finally, in 1891, they mandated that the keeper must have a medical license. And Dr. Bennett became the first medical keeper. And he actually tried to cure the mentally ill patients, kind of how your person had good intentions, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily correct. But he did. He unshackled all the patients and tried to give them a more humane life while trying to cure their illnesses. He tried to have them work outside and get access to sunlight. And I believe they probably tried treatments that were a little inhumane, but he had good intentions. He was basically following what was the norm of that time. Not saying that's Mm -hmm. okay, but that's what it was. Yes. As time passed, the county house grew even further and evolved quite a bit. They mandated that the orphaned children must receive an education. So a schoolhouse was built, which was really great. And by this time, the complex was almost entirely self-sufficient. It had a bakery, a laundry facility, a power plant, a chapel, a morgue, a cemetery, a man-made lake, a dairy herd, greenhouses – And the inmates, as they're called, or the patients would work the facility themselves. So it was one getting them out there, but then also giving them some purpose. And I'm pretty sure it was the power plant that was so advanced for the time that people actually came out to study it. Because it was like, whoa, we've never seen something like this before. And it was powering so many buildings. And then in 1894, the property was trying to establish a post office. This is just interesting. It doesn't really matter. Well, it does because this is how they got the name. But every name they submitted ended up being rejected because either it was like already taken or wasn't original of. I don't know. So on a whim, the board of the property submitted the name Eloise, which was the daughter of the board president to the post office. And it was accepted because the name Eloise or the town Eloise was not used anywhere else in the U.S. What? So with that, the post office was named Eloise. And then within time, the entire complex took on the name and went from the Wayne County Poorhouse to the Eloise Psychiatric Hospital slash Asylum. And then with the rise of tuberculosis, they created larger facilities and outdoor tents to care for the patients because... There was, you know, the thought that giving people fresh air would help with tuberculosis, which I'm pretty sure is true. But sadly, so many of these residents were already so terminally ill that they were basically sent to Eloise to die. Mm -hmm. And the doctors were primarily focused on aiding patients with less terminal illnesses. They became pioneers of medical practices such as x-rays. And people from all over Michigan would go to Eloise for x-rays because they weren't anywhere else. Eloise was also at the forefront of music therapy and encouraged patients to work on the farm to get fresh air and thought it would be beneficial for them. With these advancements and growth of Eloise facilities, there came an influx of tenants and it grew from 35 residents, which was the original amount in 1839, to Over 10,000 at its prime (gasps) in the 1920s. 10,000. What
1: what was the original? What what did you say again?
0: 35 patients in 1839 to 10,000. And so that's why it was the largest psychiatric facility at its prime. Because 10,000, that is an unreal amount of people. And also keep in mind, like, yeah, they had... You know, a primary doctor on property, and they started hiring mm-hmm. nurses. And it was a pretty good, well staffed in terms of having more employees based on the history of having no one. But mm-hmm. there was nowhere near enough to take care of 10,000. No, that's not even close to like, oh, it's 10 times. Like, no, that leap
1: is so dramatic.
0: Yes. And the number basically climbed to this point because if you think of the 1900s, early 1900s, 1920s and everything, the U.S. was going through the Great Depression. So the population Mm -hmm. of the poor and those experiencing homelessness climbed drastically. So so many people were displaced and in need of LOEs to house them. And then also in the 1920s brought pharmaceuticals and mental treatments such as electric shock therapy and lobotomies. And as we know, the use of these therapies were not helpful. They were more torturous. Mm. In the 1930s, one of the old buildings on the property was turned into a massive general hospital. And after 147 years of operation, the psychiatric hospital lost basically all of its funding and was closed in 1979 because the farm was no longer producing income. It was basically a money pit. So by 1979... All of the patients were moved elsewhere and most of the buildings were torn down. Today, only five of the 78 buildings still stand. So it's basically the firehouse, the bakery, the power plant, and D building, which housed the commissary and the cemetery. And that's of July 2021. The bakery suffered a fire in 2017. And it, so it still stands, but it's basically like a burnt, decrepit building on the land. Got it. And what I found really, really interesting is that every article that discussed the history of Eloise Asylum failed to mention the death toll or any of the malpractices. And it's kind of just like insinuated, but they don't talk about it and they don't have records of it specifically. So they were just like, many people went there to die, but that's kind of all. They skated around all the details otherwise. So – I, of course, did some digging and found more about the Eloise Cemetery, which was built on the site in 1892. According to records, 7,100 people were buried in the Eloise Cemetery between 1920 and 1948. So this only accounts for 28 years out of the 147 that Eloise was in operation And it only accounts for patients who had no known relatives because basically if there was no one to claim the body, then they would bury them in the Eloise Cemetery. And these graves were practically unmarked and they're just marked with numbers. They're assigned numbers. And of the 7,100 buried there, only 4,000 have actually been identified and added to online records. So 3,100 at least of the bodies buried at Eloise, there's no record of who they are, what happened to them, why oh, they died. people. Yeah. And this well, is, again... Of course, again, most
1: of their spirits are going to be staying there then. Yeah.
0: And again, this is only accounting for 28 of the 147 years. And at its what prime, it had 10,000 patients and 7,000 are buried in the cemetery. Like, I just... There's probably someone out there who can do the statistics of that and yeah. percentages, but... People had to have known, like, yeah. don't, don't you
1: think people knew what was going on Yeah. Like, after so many years and, and so many people just essentially, like, going missing there or, like, not being claimed by relatives, yeah. forgotten about. Don't you think there'd be people who, when you say, like, oh, you're going to the Eloise Hospital, that they'd start freaking out thinking of what's going to happen to them, like, begging not yeah. to Yeah.
0: Well, there was one thing that I found, just like a little small tidbit, that apparently... Back in the day, if you were sent to Eloise kind of by a judge or something, the reason why and everything was printed in the newspaper. So it was like – and there's one story I'll tell in a little bit. But there was no privacy. There was no HIPAA rules. There was no anything. Mm. And it was – and also you had no choice. Yeah. Because I feel like people who were sent there were not thought of as having the ability to make their own decisions. right? Therefore, they were forced to go there and had no say. But – To make things worse, Eloise Cemetery, when the whole Eloise Asylum property shut down, it became victim to body snatchers. So people would just dig up bodies, I think partially for medical school studying, and then also just because people are sick and like to take bodies. But basically, if I were buried there and that was happening, I would be pissed. I would be pissed. I'd haunt it too.
1: Yes, I would haunt it. I would haunt all of the body snatchers.
0: Yes, same. Okay, so because I couldn't really find stories about deaths really properly recorded, I ended up finding a bunch of old articles that tell of malpractice, suicide, escapes, and deaths within Eloise Asylum, and I figured I would share them. And the only thing that I couldn't find was like the years of all these articles, so those are missing from these stories. But – This is the story of Omar Weiss, who was admitted to Eloise Hospital only to die 24 hours later. Hospital authorities claimed he died of a stomach ailment, but when his body was looked at after his death, it was riddled with grotesque bruising. Doctors on site claimed the bruises came from the straps that were used to restrain him, but others feared Omar's death was more malicious. And then inquiries were dropped rather quickly, but from my perspective, I think it's very safe to say Omar was probably not the only patient to suffer at the hands of those who were supposed to help him. Mm -hmm. And there are also a lot of patients who tried to escape from Eloise, and considering Omar's story, I obviously don't blame them. Some tried to escape by fleeing, but others found that the only escape was through death, and I found two news articles about patients who died by suicide. A man by the name of Jacob Byer made three attempts to die by suicide and was successful on the third. The first two times he basically had been stopped or he only injured himself. And then on this third time, weeks later, or I guess a week later, because he had been confined at Eloise for two weeks awaiting trial for burglary. But the conditions were so terrible that he sought his own death. According to the article, and this is quite gruesome, so kind of giving you the 15 second fast forward if you would like to, giving you time, giving you time, quick, quick, get to your phone. Okay, (laughs) according to the article... His skull was crushed in like a broken eggshell by a desperate dive over the third floor banister to a hardwood floor 40 feet below.
1: Oh, no. Oh.
0: The other patient, John King, leaped from a third story window and suffered massive internal injuries where he lay in suffering until he finally succumbed to his injuries two days later. And then this story is kind of sad. This is kind of what I was referring to about. If you were sent there, it was just like leaked to the news and everyone knew your business. So there was a 12-year-old girl who was deemed an idiot by the court. And I, I'm only saying that word because that's what the article said. And that's what the court deemed her.
1: The way you said it, though, seems so harsh. Idiot. It was so biting.
0: Uh, because, it, <laughs> because it's so like awful. You're calling me an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm calling the people who did this to these people. To this 12-year-old an girl. Idiot. A hard T at the end. It's idiot. Scary. So the court basically sent her to Eloise, and based on the background that I could find, this 12-year-old girl was the child of a widowed mother who was caring for five other children at the time, and I guess, like, couldn't handle all five, and said the daughter wasn't behaving, and they called her a menace, and basically because of that, went to the court and together with the court sent her 12-year-old daughter to an insane asylum to live and die. If you don't want to be a parent, then don't just be – don't be a parent. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that easy at that time. But – Right. Or now, apparently, either. Okay. So, basically, there are tons of tragic deaths at the hand of the facility, but there were also some deaths at the hand of other patients. There were murders among patients that were scarcely documented, and there were also murderers and murder victims sent to the hospital where they then died. So, this is the story of Rolla Spears and his mother, Mrs. Megson. Basically, Mrs. Megson was living one mile north of the county house where her son, Rolla Spears, was being held. Rolla had been having spells of mania for three years, and so he was sent to Eloise's asylum. One night, he escaped from Eloise and returned to his mother's house where he—15 second fast forward if you would like— where he attacked her with a jackknife, gashing her face in a brutal manner— and then stabbed her with the knife until her body was a mass of cuts and bruises. Oh, my God. He then left her for dead and ran away, but she was found the next morning and rushed to Eloise Hospital, barely hanging on to life, and she died at the hospital. A few days later, Rolla was found in the woods, covered in his mother's blood, and returned to the asylum. Another story documents the malpractice and inconsideration of the doctors at Eloise, and that's the story of Charles Zock who Charles was admitted to Eloise Asylum for several months after a claim that he was poisoned at Ford Motors where he worked. So he checked himself in and he was diagnosed as being severely unstable and they all agreed that he was not actually poisoned. He was suffering from mental illness. But for some reason, he was released from the hospital where so many other people had no option or choice. So bewildering. But anyway, they let him go. And Charles went home and battered his wife's head with a flat iron and shoveled her body into a coal bin, then went on the run living in the world for four years until he was caught in New York. And as awful as these few stories I told you are, it's so sad that those are like the only ones I was able to find when there were tens of thousands of people who spent time or their whole lives, the duration of their lives in this hospital. So many of these stories will never be told because the hospital accredited their deaths to natural causes rather than, you know, taking blame for the medical malpractices and inhumane living conditions. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that there are countless restless spirits wandering the remaining buildings and the Eloise Cemetery. The only good news is that they don't appear to be malicious. They're rather disturbed and just confused, left to wander the place where they were sent to die because they were poor, orphaned, or otherwise had no one in their lives willing to take care of them. Today, the remaining buildings of Eloise Asylum have been up for sale a number of times. There were plans for a retirement community or a hotel, but nothing has come of it. Instead, paranormal enthusiasts and ghost hunters have taken to exploring the abandoned halls, looking for the lost souls who are rumored to remain. And now, there's actually a company that offers two-hour paranormal tours of Eloise Asylum, and many of the profits actually go to charitable organizations, which is great. That's lovely. But with all of these paranormal investigations comes many documented encounters, from strange moans and screams to haunting footsteps and movement to shadows captured in photographs. And there are lots to discuss and there are photos to post. One employee reported an incident where he saw a couple of children running up the nearby staircase He was so spooked that he had to do a double take and on his look back, the children were gone and in their place was a man just sitting on the steps who quickly disappeared. One girl reported having her hair pulled while standing by herself on the fifth floor. People have been grabbed, pushed, touched, and there's a photo taken by Ace Taylor who attended one of the Eloise tours and it's taken in the dining hall, which is on the first floor of D building. So it's basically this large, mostly open room with tables and chairs in the back of it. And Ace shined his flashlight into the room and took a photo with his digital camera. And when he went to review the pictures, saw that there's a black silhouette in the back of the room, which looks like there's something sitting in one of the chairs. It's like a head and shoulders. Ooh. At the time that this photo was taken, no one was in the room and there's no explanation. And also it's like a silhouette in almost like the beam of the flashlight. Do you want to see it? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm texting it to you. Okay. Okay. I now copy and paste the photos into my research. Oh my God. Oh, right? this is a person.
1: <gasps> ooh. Ooh. You see it right away. I was it's like, like well, very I'm t- solid. I'm gonna have trouble finding this. It is darker than dark.
0: Yeah. And it, it's like kind of in the beam of the light, and it there's no light reflecting off of it. It just kind of like Yeah, there's no shadow. Cast. No shadow, nothing. Yeah. Yikes. This place is scary. There are also countless YouTube videos of orbs, loud sounds as if someone is walking around and there are shadows passing through frames. There are also tons of EVPs that have been caught and the ghosts seem very willing to communicate. So there's this Chicago-based duo called IPRA Strong and they tried to communicate with the spirits and when they asked what the facility was used for, something responded, the dead, the sick. Another spirit said that they couldn't find their family And a spirit was calling, mommy, mommy, home. They also asked how many spirits were in the room. And a spirit responded with a number seven, which also lines up with a lot of reports of people feeling this, like, really intense feeling as if they're surrounded by something, which makes sense that there's so many spirits that, like, they probably do surround you when you enter that building. Mm -hmm. Many other images have been captured. An EVP of a woman humming a song has been documented. And basically almost every group who visits Eloise has had some kind of experience. It's definitely very haunted, but at least it doesn't seem to be haunted by any dark presences. I'm referring specifically to the creeper at Waverly Hills Asylum.
1: (laughs) I know I was thinking about Waverly Hills a lot during our research because there's just so many similarities. Yeah. Even with like TB, tuberculosis patients,
0: just, yeah, a lot of it. And yeah, so it seems like it's haunted by spirits who are just lost and confused. Yeah. There was a movie made, I think it was released in 2014, called Eloise that was inspired by the asylum. And this might be total fiction because I didn't really look up where the movie was filmed, but I read something that said they filmed on site and there were like rumors that the crew members found old jars with human body parts contained within them and also haunting photos of doctors performing medical practices. So I don't know if that's real, but it's fun to tell people. (laughs) Eloise was featured on the travel channel show Destination Fear. And if you'd like to visit Eloise Asylum, you can. History tours start at $45 and paranormal investigations start at $99. You must be over 18 years old and they require you to sign a waiver. They require you to sign your soul away, basically. Before you enter the building. And they suggest that you bring your own flashlight because the building does not have electricity. And they also suggest you dress warmly because there's no heat or water. And you don't know what's hiding in the dark. Oh, man. Do we add this to our road trip list? Or do we not? I mean, why not? It's scary. What if we did... Okay, what if... This is just a random idea. But what if we picked a date where we stopped doing new stories? And instead, we go on our road trip and start doing the podcast in order with, like, the places we've covered. So the first episode, I did the Stanley Hotel. I forget what you did.
1: I did the Hotel Portsmouth.
0: So It was the Syson, but now it's called Hotel So we Portsmouth. do, like, a part two. We go to Colorado, and then we
1: jump over yeah. to Portsmouth,
0: New Hampshire. So we do a part two of episode one where we go to each place and do a recording there.
1: Oh, my God. Travel channel, Please. Please. <laughs> please it's so funny because
0: i'm so opposed to being on a reality tv show because like even though i was voted most likely to be in a reality tv show in high school you
1: have to live out your destiny yeah i
0: would love someone to pay me so i guess i would suck it up if i could live my dream of going to all these places and documenting it
1: documenting oh my god what a dream i would drop everything good thing i don't have like a goldfish or pet (laughs) (laughs) take the goldfish on the road oh my gosh oh man jeez Okay, I cheated a little. I picked two <laughs> stories because I just – there was just so many, and I couldn't decide. And these were both about the Trans-Allegheny Insane Asylum.
0: Ooh. They're short. So that's fair.
1: I will read them right now. Please. All right. Hi, guys. My name is Sarah, and I just started listening to your podcast, and I love it. I binged your first 12 episodes in two days. Whoa. I listened to the episode that involved the Trans-Allegheny Insane Asylum, and I thought I'd share my experience here, which I don't remember when we talked about it, but it must have been from an Encounters episode because we haven't covered it before. Yeah, I don't think so, right? No, I checked our charts 1,000 times. (laughs) So. It was probably a listener story. Yeah. Or we just talked about it, you know, like offhandedly. Over 10 years ago, the owners changed, and my friend was related to them. They were doing some minor renovations, mostly cleaning and getting rid of some sharp, Chipping paint. And my friend knew I loved everything spooky, so she asked me if I wanted to come and help. We were in middle school at the time. I immediately agreed, and we went that weekend. When we got there, we expected it to be run down and creepy, obviously, because this is one of the aspects that draws people in and makes people want to tour there. We saw the regular stuff that you would expect. Rooms with drawings and suspicious chains on the walls and floors. Creepy, dimly lit hallways. Sounds from far off places, even though we were in a group, etc., And we felt presences while we were there, but nothing malicious or scary. That is, until my friend and I split up from her parents. Oh, no. We'd been there for a few hours, and we had a good time just going down the halls. But then we reached one hallway where the double doors were closed, which we still thought was pretty normal. However, when we opened the doors, we were greeted with a hallway that was in perfect condition. Uh No chipped paint, no discoloration. All the lights working and already on, no cracks in the windows or floors, and perfectly clean. We both had chills run down our spine, and we ran out of there. We were expecting everything to be run down, but finding something like that in an abandoned building is something we didn't anticipate. We were both young, and we didn't have a great sense of direction, so when we finally made it back to our parents, no matter how hard we tried, we just could not get them back to the hall. This was a while ago, and I haven't been back, but I hope I can visit again someday and find that hall again and get an explanation for what we saw.
0: I love you guys and I love your show. I hope you're staying safe and healthy during quarantine, Sarah. Okay, my first instinct was, was it the renovated area that's the main entrance part? But if that's the case, that's probably where they came in.
1: That's the entrance and also their relatives to the owners.
0: Like the owners would know, like the family would know. And say, oh, yeah, that's the hall that we finished. And the fact that they couldn't lead them back. The only thing that would make it even creepier is if they saw that and then there were, like, doctors and people, like, wandering around as if it was... Yeah, still operating. Right.
1: But it's almost like they were transported back. There was a little portal. Or what if there was a spirit nearby who just had the power to basically move their perception? What if they were truly standing in a dilapidated, like deteriorating hallway in reality? But what they were both seeing was what the spirits wanted them to see, which is what it looked like when it first opened, when they were admitted, when they brought themselves there to understand what it used to look like. Maybe they're like, oh, these girls are taking the paint off of the hallways, they're going to restore it. They're going to like make our where we spent so much time back to its glory originally. Let's help them see what it looked like. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, here's the other one for you. Hi, girls. I'm Shannon. I love your podcast. I've just discovered you a few days ago and I've been binging your episodes since. I have quite a spooky story for you. I'm from West Virginia and I have a cousin who guides paranormal tours at the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. She has a daughter who is now seven but was about three or four at the time of the story. My cousin had taken her to the asylum only a handful of times during the day when she needed to stop in and fill out some paperwork or things like that. Clover, her daughter, hadn't been anywhere else in the asylum except for the main lobby and an office right off the lobby. She sometimes sat in the lobby while my cousin stepped just right into the office to fill out paperwork. One night, Clover started telling us about lobotomies. She explained in great detail how to perform an ice pick lobotomy, which is the kind that was most done. Done at the asylum. Obviously, my cousin would not tell her toddler about lobotomies, oh and she was gosh. too young to read any of the info boards on the wall, and there were no pictures of lobotomies in the parts of the asylum that she'd been in. So, how the hell did she know? And my cousin asked her who told her about them. She said, my friend's at the hospital, the ones in the white dresses. Oh my gosh. My cousin had never been more than 10 feet from Clover at any given time, so she knew none of the other workers had talked to her. She chalked it up to being ghosts of lobotomy patients in their white hospital gowns and has not taken her daughter back to the asylum since. But for a while, every time they passed by, Clover would get super excited and wave at her friends that live in the asylum. I've lost sleep over the story, (laughs) and it definitely made me a believer. Thanks for reading and keep making podcasts. Shannon.
0: Wow. uh, Creepy. Also, why are these spirits
1: telling little kids about lobotomies?
0: I mean, well, for one, they were lobotomized and are missing – like, part of their brain was, like, severed. And two, they're still haunting this place because of the horrendous things that were done to them. So I think it's fair. If there's a listening ear – they're going to tell anyone.
1: Jeez. And apparently they must have done it in the kindest, sweetest, gentlest way because yeah not,
0: Clover was scared of hearing it. She no. was like,
1: my friends, we hang out, we swap stories, let me wave at
0: them. And she was three or four, like so young. And also funny that she was asking her mom about lobotomies because it's like she didn't understand what it was, right. which is so pure. It's like she's hearing this message and she's like, but what is that? The missing part of the story that I would like
1: to know is when Shannon's cousin brought her daughter to the asylum, did she hear her daughter interacting and just thought she was, like, playing pretend or, like, talking to herself or or something like that? Or was Clover completely silent and somehow communicating telepathically with these spirits? Was there any sign? Was there any little breadcrumbs that maybe she was talking to spirits in, in this place? Interesting. I wonder. We'll have to follow it's up. so creepy. So now, the, like, these two emails are examples of the many, many, many things that happen at Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Like, there's there's the known spirits that you'll learn about on the tour and, like, a few extra. But then there are things that happen to people all the time. Everybody has different experiences. There's numerous of them, yeah. Clover's making BFFs with the patients and learning about lobotomies. And then Sarah and her friend
0: literally time traveled, it seems like. Whoa. Wow. Wow. We'll have to go to the ball. I guess we'll go. Fine. Let's do it. (laughs) You can wear one of your five Halloween costumes. This is perfect. Perfect. I can't wait. That will kick off your Halloween costume event week. Yes. Okay. I'm into it. Me too. Leia does this thing lately where she kind of like lays upside down with her paws like up and her mouth kind of (laughs) open. In bug. I call it her broken broken position. Broken. Because she looks a little broken. It's so cute. (laughs) Okay. I have a listener story from our listener, Jeff, and it's called, So I work in a haunted hospital. And I was like, so I'm using this story. Okay. Hello, ghostesses. I've been listening since episode one, and I'm excited to have a bunch of stories to share with you. I've always been sensitive to the paranormal, whether it was seeing my aunt one last time or knowing that there was a demon in the basement where I grew up. But I can tell you about that one another time if you want, which we do, Jeff, we really do. A little background, I work nights in a hospital in Salt Lake City that was founded in 1875 by the Sisters of the Holy Cross. For context, that's 21 years before Utah was even a state. Walking in, you might think it's a little dated, but just a normal hospital aside from the original chapel from the early 1900s. When I started working here, I figured there would probably be a haunt or two, but I had no clue how much there really was. First, it was the little stuff, stories about someone seeing a shadow in a mirror when nobody was in the hall, but here are some specific stories. One of the nighttime radiologists was on the fourth floor one time and saw a young child in a striped shirt in one of the rooms, only to stop herself when she realized that room was supposed to be empty. She went back to look, but nobody was there. On the same floor, a nurse saw someone walking into a vacant room, and when she walked over to check on him, he was gone. And these are not even the freaky stories. Here is where it gets scary. Connecting floors one, three, four, and 5 is a really old elevator. I mean, probably installed in the 1940s. It's about 3 feet by 4 feet, freezing in the winter and boiling hot in the summer. We all call it the creepy elevator because we're creative with our names, aren't we? This rickety old thing will occasionally move and open on its own. One time when I was getting in, it closed on me, which I was like, okay, whatever. So I stepped out and it opened back up, and when I tried to go back in, it happened again. Nobody was with me, so there was no one pushing the buttons to open or close it. It opened again, and I said out loud, you are funny, but I have to go downstairs. I went in, went to my floor, and got off. But that's not the freakiest thing about this thing. You know the phones that they have inside elevators? They don't have numbers you can call. You pick it up, and it goes to the emergency or security services. But one time, It rang, and one of the nurses answered it, because what else are you going to do? So she answers and says hello, and on the other side, there's a child's voice saying, Mommy, is that you? The nurse immediately hung up the phone and noped out of there, as you do. Now is the part that blows my mind. There is a tunnel leading from the main hospital to a building on the northwest corner of the campus where the nuns used to live. That tunnel is where Central Supply and the morgue are now. One of the security guards has heard someone say, hey, really close to his head before. And naturally, nobody was there. But that's not the worst of it. You know how things get too quiet sometimes? Well, the further you go into this tunnel, the worse it gets. It's oppressive, and eventually I have to duck down to continue. I'm 5'11". A couple old doors to something have been boarded up over the years, and you can tell by looking at them that it's been quite a while. My good friend was giving a new person a tour on their first week, and it's fun to haze the new folks. And when they passed one of the boarded-up doors, they legitimately heard scratching. She doesn't know if it sounded like it was from the inside or the outside, but honestly, does it matter? They were scratching on a boarded-up door. (laughs) GTFO. They booked it out right away. I hope you enjoyed these ladies. Keep up the good work, and I'll see you on the other side. Jeff.
1: I love when people get phone calls. <gasps> I know. And it's a phone it that you so can't spooky. call. Truly a phone that you cannot call. Yeah. Uh, mommy, is that you? <laughs> the fact that she hung up right away. I mean, good for her. She like, you know, she ran. Like, fight or fly kicks in. She wasn't sticking around to see if this was no. actually a child or something else about to lure her in somewhere. But... Oh, can you imagine? I would drop the phone. I'd be so scared. So scary. Or I'd be like, who is this? Who's playing a prank on me? How did you get this phone to work?
0: I would be so spooked. <laughs> And then the scratching, the scratching, the yes. scratching on the boarded up door. The scratching. Ooh,
1: what wants to get out? This is what makes me think that there's definitely some sort of demon. Because I mean, it's sad. Like there very much could be people that are trying to get out because of the past or because of the condition that they were in. So the scratching, I can't just assume that the scratching is demonic. Yeah. But I don't know, just the phantom phone call and the child mommy. Money. And then scratching. I just feel like there's something dark that has found its way there that is imitating the patients and is. Or it trying is the to, patients. You don't know. That's true. It could be. I know. I'm just thinking of, like, again, Waverly Hills Sanatorium, the creeper, and then there's so many other, the collector in Charleston. Oh, yeah. The old Charleston jail. Like there's just so much darkness that goes to places that have experienced like death and pain, whether it be horrible, like the stories we just told, or it's just because you know people are losing their lives,
0: whether they were cared for properly or not. So yeah, it is sad. I mean, these, I feel like these are places that have high numbers of spirits Mm -hmm. just because of like the amount of people coming in and out. And like, it's just, there's so much hustle and bustle in hospitals too, that like, I think it's easy to coexist with humans in hospitals. True. And also to be confused if you're dead or not in hospitals. That's true.
1: And Jeff also did have a demon in his basement growing. Up, so maybe, <laughs> so- <laughs> maybe he would pick up on demon vibes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jeff, we do need to know about that. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, considering I'm going to be leaving for my simulation to Mars in a- in a year – you better all send as many ghost stories to us as you possibly can before i depart this earth send us any ghost story send them to two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com we love to read them please rate and review on itunes
1: rate and review on all of the platforms that you listen to and tell everybody about us that's super helpful you can also follow us on social media. We have most of the platforms. Just look us up. Our Facebook group is super active. We post on Instagram. We're going to get better at TikTok. I have self-goals <laughs> that I've created for myself, so we'll have more stuff there soon. Love it. And we also have merch. So spooky season is upon that us. It is. So if you weren't already wearing your spooky shirts, and now you can feel extra comfortable with some spooky two girls with no sweat. Do
0: it. Bigfoot is my boyfriend, my favorite shirt. It's the best. Also, real quick, thank you to our editor, Aiden Manning at Upfire Digital. Thank you so incredibly much for, one, working with our schedules, and two, making us sound less uneducated and less stuttery.
1: And yeah. And we will see you on the other side. Very spooky.